Has anyone done any genetic testing? Okay. There's all different types of genetic testing, and there's going to be more and more. And there's a lot you can do with it. Some of the genetic testing is um, seeing if you're predisposed to certain health conditions. And that can be good, but it also, like people ask me, have I done that? And no, and I don't want to do that because I'm thinking I might be worrying. You know, I'm exactly. 63, hopefully I have another good 30 years. I don't want to spend 30 years wondering, is that coming around the next corner? I'll do everything I can to be as healthy as I can be. Another way things to look at, which it can be very helpful if you're on pharmaceuticals, is different pathways for metabolizing drugs can be tested. So if you need to go on an antidepressant or some of the different antibiotics, there are different pathways in the body that they get metabolized. And if that pathway isn't working, you're probably going to have a reaction to the drug. And so by having the testing done, that can eliminate classes of drugs. There's always other choices. Why take the chance of taking a drug that's going to give you a problem when you could avoid that? So that's very helpful. I'm sure you've all heard of 23andMe. They were the ones who started a lot of the consumer DNA testing. They were doing a great job. We used to use them all the time. And then Ancestry.com came along. And Ancestry started doing more business than 23andMe. And Ancestry does mainly Ancestry. So 23andMe made a business decision that most people are interested in Ancestry not on the health side. So they do a couple of the health ones now and more ancestry. So we used to use them into the program that we used to analyze the results. And starting last, I believe it was October, a year ago, they went to, they call it version five, and they eliminated over 3,000 genes that they test. So if you do 23andMe now, we can still use that data, but on the health side is slimmed down to about 20% of what it was. So the research group that I studied with and that I worked with, they decided they don't want to be at the risk of a company making a decision like that again. So what they did was they went to three of the biggest DNA testing labs and told them, this is the chip we want. We want to be able to test these 5,000 genes but we want to own the chip so we can change it. As we find other ones we need or don't need, we want to be able to change the test. And they got it FDA approved, they validated it, and now that's available. So now we can do what we were doing before, which is testing over 5,000 genes. So that's what I'm going to be talking about today. Um, so they were calling this methylgenetic because part of what we're doing is figuring out what to feed the body to get these pathways working right. So when you have, I'll be going into different definitions. I'm gonna to try to give you an overview, and if it isn't totally clear, it should fall into place. When you test your genes, you find out if you have a SNP. And that, a SNP, and I'll go into what that is and what it looks like, but that means there's a corruption in the gene, and we all have them. Nobody has a perfect set of genes. And the body can ad adapt to this. So we all have a whole bunch of them, and it doesn't cause a problem. 
but some of them are sometimes combinations of these SNPs and cause a problem. The different genes, um, there's a lot of genes that control these orange squares or rectangles. Those are all enzymes. And those enzymes are used to convert substance A to substance B. And I like to look at this, and this is why I gave you all a copy, so you could really study it later on. Each of these circles and pathways, I like to think of as gears in a Swiss watch. And if some of these aren't working well, it's like dirty gears, the watch doesn't keep good time. And so forcing the gear to move, you'll eventually break something in the watch. But if you can clean up the mess and get that those gears spinning freely, the watch will start keeping better time. So there some companies and some practitioners are testing for the in the middle here, the MTHFR that helps methylate folic acid. It looks like over fifty percent of the population has a problem with that gene. And a lot of us don't methylate folic acid. We need folic acid to be methylated for the body to use it. So you would think if you have a genetic SNP and you're not methylating folic acid well, you need folic acid to be alive. So start taking methylfolate. We, we sell it. You can buy folic acid that's already methylated. What they found was a lot of people start feeling better and then after a few months they feel worse. And how can that possibly be if you're giving your body something that it needs to be alive? And if you think about it, if you get this number three spinning real free, but there's a problem down in number five, it's almost like a river with three dams and everything's flooded. Instead of opening the bottom dam first to let the water out at the bottom and working your way upstream, you open the dam at the top, which helped the people up at the very top and flooded everybody else even deeper. So you really want to sort of step back and look at the whole picture, because nine out of 10 times, it's never one thing that's not working well. It's always a combination. And also, each of these help convert substance A to substance B, which then is used going to the left and the right and down and up in other processes. So if there's a problem, and I'll show you some examples, let's say in number three, that could affect your neurotransmitters. It's not a direct line, but if it affects the right side, that can affect your neurotransmitters. And I'll show you how that can happen in a little bit. So an analogy I like to use, and I hope I don't drive you guys crazy, I love analogies. We have genetics and we have epigenetics. You're born with your genes. You can't change them. So we all have certain predispositions where we're more likely to have a certain problem than somebody else. So if you think about it as a loaded gun, a revolver, your genetics is the pistol with five bullets in it. Epigenetics is what pulls the trigger and activates or deactivates the gene and causes the problem. The epigenetics is our lifestyle, our diet, our lifestyle, our stress level, the food we eat, the way we take care of ourselves, the things we're exposed to. So until there's actual damage to tissues, you can reverse the epigenetics 
and turn the switch off. Once damage is done, you can't fix it. But if it's just out of balance, there's a lot of times you could trigger one of the genetic SNPs, the mutations, and if you change the lifestyle, you can get better. And that's where, on the mainstream side, we say, you know, once you have this, it can't get better. You had a spontaneous healing. It's just one of the miracles some people that happened. But it really, there is science behind why it happens. So we have to look at not just these are my genes, but the pollution we're exposed to, the food we eat, uh, how our digestion and elimination is. That's where we absorb our nutrients and poop out all the metabolic waste and the toxins we absorb and we eat. So if our digestion and elimination aren't working well, how can the whole system work? You are setting your epigenetics up to trigger and pull you know, the trigger on the gun. So if you have a genetic test, it's really good to find these things out. It's not, oh my God, I don't stand a chance. You know, all these things are gonna happen. We still are in control of how our body reacts to our genetics in a lot of areas. It's not, it's written in the genetics, there's nothing I can do, might as well just do whatever I want. So what do we do um, on analyzing the DNA and the genetics? Instead of going after the metabolic pathways for the drugs, which is very important and that's a good way to go, are looking at are you predisposed for certain conditions? That's good information maybe to know. What we do is, we, it's a saliva test. You spit in a vial and send it out to a lab. To the lab, you are just a number. It's like a 12-digit number. And the results come back with just a number. You have a portal that's your personal portal. And then we know whose number and what portal it goes to. So we import it into that portal. From there, we also look at all the different pathways that these genes um, can affect. And you'll see as we go through the slides, just because you have a SNP doesn't mean that pathway is not working. It just means it's not working at 100% efficiency. And a lot of people have a genetic mutation, but that pathway is working fine for what their body needs. So you don't need to do it. Some people with the MTHFR don't need to take methylfolate. Their body might be working at 40% methylating folic acid, and they might only need 32% of that capacity. So it isn't necessary to supplement. So we don't just look at the genes and do it from the pharmaceutical point of mainstream medical. This number's off, what do we take to just get that number where it should be? We look at how is your body doing? What does your body need? We look at the different metabolic pathways. We clean up and figure out what the metabolic mess is that's there. And uh, I have a couple of slides that will show every single one of those gene, those pathways, supposed to take substance A and make substance B out of it. If that isn't working well, you don't have enough substance B and you have too much substance A. There's some lab testing you can do that looks at the met metabolic output in the urine. And from that and what's out of balance, we can go backwards and we can figure out exactly which pathway isn't working. So we use that type of data along with the genes. There's also a, um, a lab test that looks at, um, I 
lost my train of thought, hopefully keeping your memory going. Um, there's a lab test that looks at your nutrient level because sometimes like we have people who, are, who aren't taking B12 and their blood test is coming back in the thousands. It's supposed to be about 800 and they're coming back in 2,000, 3,000. And when I go to meetings, doctors are saying they have to be taking it in one of their vitamins, but they don't know they're taking it. But what if the pathway, and I'll show you because that chart keeps coming up, that utilizes B12, what if that enzyme isn't working? So what you're getting in your meat you're eating, the B12 you're getting in the meat is getting into the blood, but it can't go anywhere. So you're not really over-supplementing is the body's underutilizing. So when a number is too high or too low, the bigger question isn't how much do I take to get it where it should be, it's why is either you're not getting enough in or why is your body using so much more than it's supposed to? Or why is it not using enough so your number's too high? So it's, step again, stepping back and looking at a bigger picture, not just this number's off or this gene has a snip in it. Does that make sense? So the goal is not to treat the genes, but to get figure out metabolically what isn't working and what can we do to clean up the metabolic mess that was created from it not working well and assist it so it can work better. Goals to help the body and the mind function better and to stop the buildup of free radicals and these toxic metabolic byproducts that shouldn't be building up. We help support detoxification. I'm gonna show you how getting things in balance helps your body use antioxidants. There's a, a pathway in the body called NERF2, and you're gonna start hearing about it. It's showing up a little bit in the paper, in the regular newspapers. Um, you'll start seeing some ads about the new fountain of youth, or the miracle for longevity, and they'll be talking about the NERF2 pathway. What the NERF2 pathway does is, it helps the body store and then release antioxidants that we're eating all this great food and taking our supplements when the body needs it to break down and deactivate free radicals which prematurely ages us. And a lot of us have genetic issues with the NERF2 pathway. We either don't store the free radicals the way we were supposed to, so we have a backlog of them, or when we need them, pathway, the switch isn't working, so you can't release them. So by getting this going and working better, you're protecting the body, which slows down aging and hopefully keeps us healthier. So as we age, you're not going to hear, well, for someone your age, that's normal. You know, most of those things aren't normal. It's very common for someone your age because we're all out of balance. And in general, we're not a healthy group of people in the world right now. So... Um, I talked about 23andMe and they're changing. All right, so we look at the gene SNPs, how they affect the enzymes, some of the testing, anyone ever heard of organic acid test or methylation pathway test? Um, NutraVal, NutraVal is a wonderful um, program, or that's well, a program, it's I believe five vials of blood and some urine, and it looks at the metabolic output, it, checks a lot of the vitamins, minerals, trace minerals, and so that all gets put into the portal, into the program. Do you need that to stop the analysis? No. 
And what I generally do is tell people if they want to do this, let's get the DNA, get your symptomology questionnaire, and your health <coughs> history. And then a lot of times that's enough information to figure out where we need to start. And then if we need the neutral or the organic acid test, we can do that later or down the road. Some people already have it done, which is great because we can import all that data. And the more data points we have and the more um, areas we're looking at, the bigger picture we get as to how your body and your system is working, which makes it easier to help get things back in balance. The other thing I like about this research group, they want information, they want case studies. So they're up to, I think, 60 some odd thousand cases. And as they have more cases and more people are being followed, they're finding more connections between the different genes and pathways. And so what they do is, there's a fee for setting up the portal. It's your portal. You have it for, I'll say ever, ever is a long time. But they, as they get new information, they're automatically updating everyone's report at no charge. So it's a one-time fee they charge, but they want the data, so it's a very reasonable fee, and they keep updating because the more people and the more information I get from you, and they get, and again, the information they get, you're a number, you're not a person, or a name. And so it's all secure, you have to sign a release, letting that you understand that they're just using the raw data, they're not using your personal information, so they want to make sure they have something in writing that they're bound to and that you understand how they're handling the data. And that's very important also. So we no longer use the old model. If you have this, take that to treat the problem. We're going much more in depth. So you do a simple um, saliva test. It's spit in a vial, goes in the mailer, you're a number, and it goes to the post office, it goes out to them. Fill out an online symptomology survey. It's about, I think, 600 questions. And the nice part is the programmers just changed it. You don't have to do all 600 questions in one sitting, or it doesn't it'll time out on you if you get a phone call. But when you go back in, it remembers where you were. It automatically saves it, and you continue on where you left off. Um, lab work if we need it. And then the data is used to figure out what's the right program for you, not for everybody that's 40 to 50 year old. This is really customized to each person. And the other nice thing is the protocols, is the ideal protocol, but a lot of times people have been so sick for so long, when you start delving in, and those people usually have a whole bunch of metabolic problems that have to be cleared up, the thought of taking four or five supplements every day is just too overwhelming there's always a way to do it, even if it's starting off with one thing. We try to figure out the hierarchy. If you can only fit either dollar-wise or pill-wise this many things, it's not lost. You can do it that way. It'll take a little longer, but we do one step at a time instead of dealing with a few things at a time. So it really gets customized for each person. So. The idea of this, I liked, one, if you're healthy, to find out where there's some metabolic problems and fix them before you have a problem. The other side is, if you've been chasing your tail, trying to find what's wrong, 
Is this the final answer? No, but a lot of times this can open up some windows so you can hit the nail on the head and get moving instead of, well, let's try this, let's try that. This might be very good for you when you might need whatever this is, but this has to be done first. So when you do this, it doesn't work. It's just like with digestion, sometimes people say, well, I tried enzymes, it didn't help. I tried probiotics, it didn't help. I tried Saccharomyces boulardii, it didn't help. But if they took a little bit of all three, it works well. So knowing what you need can make it a lot easier to get it done. And people are really finding out more and more about genetics, but nobody is really, I mean, you hear the ads on TV and things like that, they don't really tell you exactly what they test for. And even more important, nobody's telling you what you can do with the information you've got, so you're flying by the seat of your pants. This is the head of the research group that I work with, and he identifies himself as a true geek. He said when he was in high school, he had the, what do you call it, the pocket saver, you know, like 20 pens in there and all that. He loves analyzing things. So when they got up to about 25,000 cases, he started noticing a whole bunch of people in his database that have Lyme that aren't getting better, doing everything right and not getting better, all have a certain number of these same gene SNPs. So he went to ILADS, which is the International Lyme Association Disease, Lyme Disease Association. Society. Thank you. He went over and presented his data. He sent it over and they said, we want you to present. Two years in a row, he won the award. And the first year, he was shocked because he said, this is a definite connection, he proved the connection, and he said, I have no idea what it means. You know, he just thought he wanted to give them the data, and they have since, last year, they found out some of the pathways and what it's doing and why certain people are having a problem. So it's amazing, and this is why he wants the data, because as they get more and more data, they, they'll start finding connections, even if they don't know what we can do with those connections. They're working with autism, they're working with AIDS, they're working with um, fibromyalgia and all that because they're finding as they get more and more people is some similarities between all the cases. And sometimes they don't know what that means, but he's working on it. And he's, I've gone to a bunch of classes with him. He's fascinating, but he's exhausting because he'll do this 22 hours a day just trying to figure things out. So you have a copy of this, and this is what we're calling the healing pyramid. So people get tested, and they find out they have MTHFR, they have trouble methylating folic acid, they have trouble with B12. If you look at it, that's way up at the top of the pyramid. You have to have the lower part working well before you can even think of doing anything higher up. So that's why when we jump in and just put in B12 with the methylfolate, by itself, the majority of people might feel a little better and then they slowly go backwards. A lot of times if you get the pathways, the lower pathways working better, everything flows down and up and the body starts functioning better and you only need to give a little bit of B12 to folic acid. So you want to be careful not to start at the top of the river, you want to start downstream and work your way up. Here are some of the good and the bad guys we look for in the testing and the metabolic pathways. Um, the good guys, nutrient-filled food, 
Um, super superoxide dimutase helps break down a, a really dangerous free radical that our body makes. Catalase, glutathione, SAMI, NADH, BH4, folate is the NERF2. Choline, very important for absorption of fats, which give us our most, most of our energy in our mitochondria, but there's certain nutrients that we need once the fat's in the blood to get it out of the blood into the cells. So a lot of us don't have a problem digesting fats, but once it gets into the blood, it can't get out and get used. So the genetic testing and the pathway testing can help with that. Some of the bad guys, excess glutamate. Glutamate is a wonderful substance the body makes. It helps with our creativity. It helps with our excitement. If it gets too high, it causes severe anxiety. It can cause neurotransmitter problems. It can cause extra free radicals to be made, premature aging. It can affect our sleep, our adrenals. Sulfates and sulfites. And on that chart with all the wheels, there's a pathway for that. If that isn't working right, you can have too much sulfate and sulfites in your system, which is very damaging. Um, NOS uncoupling we'll talk about, peroxynitrite, hydroxyl radicals, zonulin and histamine. There's a, a real histamine issue going on in this country. Well, I guess in the world now. And they, they even now have new disease states, mast cell dysregulation, the mast cells store histamine. Used to hear someone once in a while, but there's a, we'll go into it a little bit, between histamine and zonulin, which is in the gut, gluten activates zonulin. If you have histamine and, and too much gluten in your gut, zonulin starts pouring out, and that opens up spaces between the cells lining the gut, causing the severe leaky gut. And they're now finding the lab tests a lot of people that develop colitis and ileitis and all those disease states, some of these markers are very high up to two years before they even have a symptom. Mm -hmm. So we can start looking and a lot of times with diet modification, you can stop the progression of that going down the wrong road. So if you look at on this on your um, handouts, glutamate is down here at the bottom. And I'm going to get ahead of myself a little bit, but there's an enzyme I had mentioned on the previous slide, BH4, that's number two. The BH4 uses an enzyme to break it down to BH2. When that wheel is spinning, number two, that's how we take tryptophan and tyrosine and convert it into all of our neurotransmitters. So if you have a problem here, there could be anxiety, depression, that there's a there could be a reason for it. And you can that's one of the pathways that can be supported. When glutamate is too high, you're generating a lot of free radicals right down in this area, the superoxide and peroxynitrite. Those are the most two of the most dangerous free radicals in the body. The body makes it normally, and the body can take care of it. But if you are making too much of it, it can really damage things. So nature gave us redundant systems. And if you look, it says one BH4 or two BH4s, the body will steal the BH4 for making neurotransmitters to come down and help deactivate those free radicals. That's a safety mechanism, that's good. Problem is, 
then you stop making less neurotransmitters. Also, we need BH4 to make nitric oxide. Nitric oxide, one, is the thing that Viagra works on for dilating blood vessels to, cause, to help with erectile dysfunction. We also use nitric oxide to dilate our blood vessels to help regulate our blood pressure. So they're finding some people that have a problem on the left side of this chart have high blood pressure because the body is using the BH4 to get rid of the bad free radicals and it's not able to make nitric oxide when it needs it. So it can't help regulate your blood pressure as well as it can. And so if you start helping clean up the mess so the body can use BH4 where it needs to, then you can start regulating a lot of these pathways better. Does that make sense? I know this is, it took quite a few times going over it till it finally logged in. So this is just the first pass, and it'll take some more time to get through it. Okay, so many people have done the 23andMe. You get a, you do whatever. You have the old version of 23andMe, version three or four, and on the portal you can check that. That has all the data. We can use that directly. You don't have to spend any money having another genetic um, saliva test. If not, there are kits available at the portal, we upload the zip file, and then that gives us like a 60 or 80 page report. Not, you have this problem, take that. But it gives us guidance, what areas statistically could be having a problem so we can look at your symptoms, your health conditions, maybe some other labs, to see what your body's doing and not doing, and what's right for you. If you just looked at the raw data from a genetic test, that's what you see. And that is very informative for a computer, but to you and me, that's pretty useless. It really doesn't say anything. And we'll go into what that means. Here's a quick DNA 101 course for you. DNA controls everything in our body. How you make nutrients, neurotransmitters, hormones, energy, um, how we activate our vitamins and our nutrients, how you clear toxins and metabolic waste, how you make and use antioxidants. Are you bald? Mine's genetic. Some people, it could be a metabolic pathway isn't allowing the hair. What your eye color is, how tall you're gonna be, what you're susceptible to. Nutritional DNA testing helps determine what you need to do to get all these areas working better and clean up the mess that's been made when they're not working well and to compensate for nutritional deficiencies but most important how to clean up the backload of all this metabolic waste that shouldn't be there this is going into some of the genetics um, dna genes and chromosomes are like the blueprint of life they're the plans that tell us how the body is going to make different products different chemicals in the body. Um, they're made up of chromosomes and they're found in the nucleus of every cell. Genes are made up, made up of adenine, thiamine, cy um, cytosine, and guanine. And this is the blueprint. These, these rungs over here, the DNA's all coiled up, so it looks like the middle. But these rungs, each of these have two amino acids, and it's certain ones are supposed to be bound together. And it's the stack of a whole bunch of these is what makes the blueprint for a certain enzyme pathway, or for your muscles, or for the color of your hair, 
or are you going to be nearsighted or farsighted, how your eyes are made. And so this, when the body is replicating, it can be errors because nobody's perfect, but the body has ways to get rid of those errors. And there's cells that go around looking and they gobble up these wrong genes. The problem is sometimes the body can't correct that. And most of the time it can deal with the outcome. It's when there's too many of them or you're pulling the trigger with your epigenetics that you have a problem. So you hear a lot about SNPs, a genetic SNP. That's what we're testing for. It's a single nucleotide polymorphism. What that means is out of those two amino acids, one of them is the wrong one got put in there when it was being built. That's what a SNP is. So if you're supposed to have a, um, a, a tyrosine and a cysteine, and you have an um, adenosine put in there, that's a SNP. Will that cause a problem? A lot of times, no. And a lot of times, the wrong one gets put in, but not on every single replication. So it's more looking at what effect is this having on your specific body, not what does that have on everybody, because everyone can react differently. Um, this heterozygous, you'll hear the words heterozygous and homozygous. Heterozygous means one of the amino acids is the wrong one. Homozygous means they're both wrong. And a heterozygous SNP sometimes can affect the efficiency of the gene, of the enzyme that it makes by 20 or 30%. If it's homozygous, both of them are wrong. Very rarely does it not work at all. Because on most of these pathways, if it didn't work at all, you wouldn't be alive. Usually it means it's only working between 20 and 60% efficient. So depending upon your system, you could have a homozygous SNP and not have to deal with it, and somebody else could have a heterozygous, only half of it's wrong, and it could cause a big problem. So again, you want to find out what is it doing to you. An allele is, we get, we all know we get half our genetic information from mom and half from dad. And so we have two alleles, and half's mom's, half's dad, so you can blame one of your parents if you have a genetic problem. Um, and the, the funny thing is, there's nothing you can do about it. You're gonna have that no matter if they were good parents, bad parents, and it's nobody's fault. But now we can see them and maybe do something about it. So some SNPs affect the color of the hair, how we respond to drugs. We talked about the testing for those pathways. Um, a good portion of the SNPs produce enzymes which work in those different circles that help us metabolically. It's like a daisy chain. We need this one working well to make a product for the next one that needs that to make a product that the next metabolic pathway works. And if one of them isn't working, it can have far-reaching effects metabolically. Um, so this just says it a different way. Okay, an example of a SNP, which a lot of people hear of. A lot of doctors now are testing MTHFR, that's for methylating folic acid. And one of the genes that is very common with as a problem is the C677. That's just in the numbering of the genes. So you might be told you have a um, 677 mutation. And you'll say, great, what does that mean? Now you know that means you have a problem methylating folic acid. Um, how is that useful to us? 
Well, if we know you don't make methylfolate properly, and so you're probably not utilizing it well, in order for the body to get rid of superoxide, which is one of the terrible free radicals, it needs B6, B12, folic acid, trimethylglycine. So if your B12 level is low and you have a genetic SNP or you don't methylate B12 well and you have a genetic SNP, you can't get rid of some of those terrible, some of those very damaging free radicals efficiently. And that can usually be addressed. If the free radicals aren't eliminated efficiently, that causes damage in the body to any protein. And we're made up of protein. It damages tissues, it causes premature aging. The sun causes free radical damage to our skin, protein, and causes the leathery skin if you cooked yourself as a teenager. It causes skin cancer, it's cumulative. That's from the free radicals being not deactivated. So if you have some of these genetic SNPs, you're not dealing with that too well. So if you look at this, the blue is normal, the yellow is a genetic SNP. So if the father has one SNP and the mother has one SNP, 50% <coughs> of the kids will have one SNP, 25% of the offspring will have no genetic mutation, and 25% will have a homozygous. They'll have two SNPs in that gene. So it, if both parents have two, two SNPs, then all the offspring will have homozygous SNPs on all of these. So this is just to show you all's not lost if somebody in the family. In my family, I've always had bad allergies. My son has bad allergies, and part of my class, we had to do 30 case studies, so I recruited everyone in the family. And my daughter didn't get, my wife has one SNP for histamine, I have two. And so my daughter, had a much lower level of SNPs for histamine, my son got hammered. But now that we know that, he's doing fine. And so when this, we first were analyzing it, and I was working with that doc you saw, you know, I said, I feel terrible. This is why he's always had problems with certain foods, and with digestion, and with his allergies. And I felt really bad, and he said, turn it around. Because you did this testing, and you paid for it, you can tell him, we now know what, the, what your problem is, and I can help you instead of I cause this problem. And he said, you really didn't cause it. It was going to happen no matter what. But I did feel terrible. Um, this just goes back into the, sometimes they'll tell you you have a C677T heterozygous. That means the T, tyrosine was added in, and it's heterozygous. One of the alleles is wrong and it was tyrosine. Do you really need to know that? No, you just need to know if there was a problem. Um, this just goes into what homozygous is. So back to here, there's a lot of problems. The MTHFR is in the beginning here. On number four, where methionine gets turned into homocysteine, and that goes around and around, you can see you need B12 for that, and you also, when circle four is working well, that's when we do a lot of our methylation. And a lot of the things that the body makes or that we need to use has to be methylated. So if there's a problem in the upper right-hand corner, you're not methylating well, which then causes more free radicals and causes all these gears not to work well. 
What's interesting is a lot of people have a problem with the BHMT in the middle of number four and down below the CBS gene. We know, anyone heard of homocysteine? Yes. We figured out years ago, when I was in school in the dark ages in the 70s, they were talking about people who have high homocysteine are more likely to have a cardiac event. It's not good for the heart. And so then they figured out, mainly by trial and error, if you take B6, B12, and folic acid, that's what they call them the homocysteine modulators. They lower homocysteine. And we didn't know really the mechanism of action, but it worked, and those people there, statistically, they had a lower chance of getting having heart problems than the people who had high homocysteine. So that's great. Now that we did this testing, the CBS BHMT enzymes are some enzymes, if there's genetic SNPs, they work faster. Usually it slows down a pathway. So if this pathway isn't working well because of the genetics, everything is flying down the right-hand side. Most of those people have a problem methylating folic acid or utilizing B12. So it makes sense when you take B6, B12, and folic acid, it helps this pathway work at a better, more reliable speed. When this is going down this way, you're overutilizing glutathione. We use glutathione to help detoxify the body for all the chemicals we're exposed to, for the metabolic waste, our metabolic um, waste we make. We need glutathione in the liver to detoxify it and get it out of the system. So if this is working well, you're overusing your glutathione and the levels drop down. It also, if you look on the lower right, it stimulates the adrenals. So you start going into fight or flight all the time. So that can lead to stress, anxiety, um, sleep issues, thyroid issues, because when the adrenals are off, the you don't use thyroid hormones well. When the adrenals are off, you don't use female hormones, and you could be having more severe heart flashes. And it's not because your hormones are off, it's because of this part of the cycle. When this side is too high, you start going over this way, and we talked about you make those two free radicals, those terrible ones, and glutamate goes up. You start getting anxious, explosive, sleep problems. That can lead to, and I'm going to the extremes, that can lead to higher blood pressure, partly because the adrenals are revved up, but the body isn't able to make nitric oxide. It can, we have a huge problem in this country now, both men and women, with sexual dysfunction. You know, with problems uh, with getting pregnant. And a lot of it on a sexual function is nitric oxide <coughs> issues. And it might not be, there's a lot of people who, that was a nice ring. <laughs> if we can, there we go. Um, some people take Viagra and it works fine. Other people take Viagra or Cialis and it has no effect. That's because the body can't make any more nitric oxide. And so it could be a problem over here that's causing the sexual dysfunction or contributing to the neurotransmitters. So the way I like to look at this big, huge mess is it's opening up some windows that can help us explain why we're having a problem. And if we can explain why we're having a problem better, a lot of times we can figure out what can we do to help the machinery work 
Whereas the other way is let's just keep throwing pharmaceuticals and sometimes that's the best thing in the world, but sometimes we're just using it to suppress a side effect and it works for a while, this gets more out of whack and then the drug doesn't work anymore. Antihistamines are a good example of that. And the body's putting out too much histamine and it can't break it down. The antihistamine blocks the receptor site. The body's still putting out too much histamine and eventually it overwhelms the antihistamine. And so then we say, well, I got used to the antihistamine. You really didn't get used to it is that the underlying problem got worse and the antihistamine isn't strong enough to block it. But there's things we can do to help your body break down the histamine. Okay. So with the SNP, with the different enzymes that the SNPs control over, there may be a decrease in function, or like the CBSBHMT and increase, it can change hormones, neurotransmitter levels, and the function of the mitochondria. Mitochondria are in every single cell, that's the energy factory. And we're having now these conditions, mitochondrial dysfunction. And a lot of it has to do with diet or with severe stress. People have been under a long time, the system got burnt out. A lot of it has to do with the genetic makeup and a lot of these pathways. So the SNPs may cause a down regulation or an upward regulation. Some may make you feel better. If you have the SNP, some of them can make you feel a lot worse. And this is what I was talking about before. Each pathway converts substance A to substance B. And we need substance B for the next pathway, which then converts substance B to substance C. If you're not, well, I'll get to it in the next slide. If the enzyme isn't working, then in your either urine or stool or the blood, you're gonna have too much of substance A like the B12, because the body isn't able to use it. You're also gonna have less of substance B than you need, and so that can be very telling. So looking at the SNPs, then we can know these pathways should be working fine, we don't have to look at that, but if there's a problem in this pathway, we can look in the lab test, is there a problem with A and B? And by which one's too high or too low, we know whether that that pathway is working okay, even though you have the SNP, or it's not working well. There are thousands of reactions going on every second in our body. DNA is the instructions how these reactions happen. If it isn't working well, that can, over time, cause a problem. Um, histamine, I'm gonna go a little bit into histamine because we think of histamine mainly with seasonal allergies. We're now realizing histamine and you have a chart in your handout because there's no way you'd be able to read it all. You just, while I'm talking, feel free to rattle that piece of paper and look at it. And I did it in color. The red are triggers, things in our diet, our lifestyle, or our health conditions that can trigger extra histamine being released. Um, the white are the enzymes or the gene, the defects, and then the grayish is the symptoms we have. And if you look at it, there's a lot involved in histamine. And one of the big areas in histamine, you're gonna be hearing more about it, is the DAO enzyme. That's made in the gut. We have there's a lot of foods that have high histamine level. The nightshades, peppers, tomatoes, peaches, um, cashews, Almonds, not too high, but a lot of people react. 
So a lot of the food sensitivities, not the anaphylactic reactions, but the food sensitivities can be due to the body not breaking down the histamine that's in those foods. Now one of the things that happens is those, a lot of cells in our gut make an enzyme called DAO. And the DAO enzyme breaks down histamine. Histamine is very, very healthy for us. We need it. It's a neurotransmitter. If you're having a pollen problem, it makes your eyes water, it makes you sneeze, it makes you blow your nose and cough. That's to expel the irritant. So histamine, if you think of a bell curve, up to this point, it's very beneficial. A drop more of that starts causing major problems in the body. So one of the areas is in the gut, nature knew we need some of the nutrients in the histamine foods, the foods that are high in histamine. The gut tissue is supposed to secrete the enzyme DAO and break down the histamine. When you don't make enough of DAO genetically, histamine starts irritating the gut, causing leaky gut, which causes higher histamine inside in the bloodstream, which causes systemic reactions. Anyone ever bite into a peach and the roof of their mouth itches or burns a little bit, but it doesn't always happen? That has to do with how overloaded you are on histamine at that time. So, someone, yes? Or cross-antigen activity with tree. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, if you have leaky gut to begin with, when the gut is inflamed or not functioning well, the cells that make DAO don't function well, so you start breaking down less histamine. And that's why, one of the reasons why people who have a few reactive foods, when the gut's out of balance, over time they start reacting to more and more foods. That's because even the lesser histamine-containing foods or histamine-releasing foods start pushing you over the top because your histamine level is slowly going up. And this is another reason why when histamine, re if you have gluten in your gut and your histamine is too high, the body releases zonulin, which I mentioned before, which causes more leaky gut, which causes the body to have more reactions internally, which causes more histamine to be released, which causes more leaky gut, and you just spiral out of control. And we're seeing more and more people with a severe histamine problem, no matter what they do and take, we have people who are taking two Claritin in a day, a Benadryl, they're on some prescription antihistamines, and they just keep adding on more and more things, and they're keeping their head above water, but they're miserable. There's a lot of things you can do, one, to heal the gut. Also, if you aren't breaking down histamine appropriately, you can take the DAO enzyme for the histamine in the gut, but there's a lot of things that can take nutritionally to stabilize the mast cells. Mast cells are cells in the blood that store histamine. And when you're exposed to something and the body needs histamine, the mast cells open up and release histamine. Then the body is supposed to use it. You fix the problem and then the enzymes break down the histamine and go back to a low level. What happens is a lot of us aren't breaking it down, both in the gut and systemically. So your histamine goes up, you have the reaction, the body deals with it, and instead of coming back to baseline, it just comes down a little. Then you're exposed, you eat a peach, and your gut's leaking. You go back up and you come down, 
maybe baseline now is a little higher, eventually you cross that threshold where no matter what you do, you're having a histamine reaction. And on this sheet, um, I talk about in the different parts of the body some of the reactions you have. And I'm just going to here, this one's a little easier to see. If histamine is very healthy for us, but in large amounts it can affect the respiratory tract, the skin, cardiovascular system, the central nervous system, can even affect the bone marrow, the GI tract, the uterus. And so people who are living on antihistamine should really try to figure out a better way to deal with their high histamine. When histamine gets too high, you can have severe GI problems. So you start thinking it must be a parasite, but it could be a histamine issue. When histamine's too high, besides getting the dark circles and walking around like this and sneezing and itching all the time, sometimes somebody could um, bump into something and it starts itching. Because when you bang yourself, the body, one of the healing mechanisms, it releases a little histamine. But what if you are teetering right on the edge of the cliff and you bang yourself? You have a big reaction, it starts itching. And the more you scratch it, the more histamine you release. And so all these things are signals. And they're, it's like the idiot light on a, another analogy, the idiot light in a car. And the check engine light goes on, it doesn't tell you what's wrong, it just tells you, bring the car to the mechanic. So that light bothers you because you know something's wrong. So what we could do is cut the wire and the light goes off. <laughs> but the problem isn't fixed. So if you're always taking a drug to suppress a symptom, you're cutting the light and turning the idiot light off. So our symptoms really aren't the problem. Our symptoms are the idiot lights telling us we gotta find out why the body isn't doing what it should be and let's clean it up before it's a problem. Any questions on histamine? Yes. How do you keep DAO levels high enough to prevent this? Well, your body should be doing that, naturally. Nature intended us to be able to deal with that. So by checking on the genetics, if you have a problem making the DAO enzyme, you can now buy DAO enzyme in a capsule form. So that's good for the histamine uh, in the foods. Internally, there's a lot of things. Um, there's N-acetylcysteine and um, natural vitamin C, and there's different nutrients. There's a product called DHIS, which helps the body stabilize the, the mast cells so they can release histamine, and the histamine can still get to the receptors, but it releases it in a normal, a more normal amount. There's also mast cell stabilizers. There's different nutrients and herbs that help stabilize the mast cells so when you need some histamine, the floodgates don't open. You get a normal release, and then the body starts shutting it down and breaking it down. So there's a lot that can be done. What we're finding is we're seeing people coming in for compounds for some different medication because their histamine levels and the lack of breaking it down are so high that people are winding up being rushed to the hospital with histamine problems. And at that point, you really need to deal with getting things calmed down pharmaceutically and with the doctor. When you're just reacting a lot and having your allergies are getting worse and worse, way before you get to that point, there's a lot you can be doing to help clean up the mess. But we have to find out where the mess is. Are there certain foods that encourage DAO development or high no, public levels? No, it's, it's more the body is either making it or not making it. And if the cells aren't making it, the gut 
if you get the gut healthy again and get the lining healthy and stop leaky gut, the majority of people will start making enough DAO for the gut. But we use more laxatives and antacids in this country per person than anywhere else in the world. So in general, our gut's a disaster. Yes? Are you familiar with the work of um, Dr. Zach Bush? Yeah. How he's been researching glyphosate and how it affects the, the gut and the leaky gut issues? Yeah, and that was, all that research was denied up until recently with that lawsuit. I mean, it was in California, there was a lawsuit on, on um, glyphosate, and they won. It was a multi-million dollar suit. So that's going to probably be like tobacco companies, where it's just going to go. But the bit about it breaks down in 24 hours and causes no problems is long gone. Another interesting thing, they're now finding where glyphosate goes in and corrupts different pathways in the body, and once they're corrupted, they don't revert back when you stop being exposed to glyphosate. So the money now, since there's lawsuits, money's going into research. And that's gonna wind up being, I think, like dioxin, or one of the terrible chemicals of our time. Yes? I um, just uh, wondered about uh, what you could tell us about uh, uh, migraine headaches and the, and the roots of migraine headaches being uh, histamine intolerance. Well, I'll say that's, a subject for about a four-month course. <laughs> There's many, many causes for migraines, but one of them can be the overproduction of histamine, and part of it goes into the, well, I have the wrong chart up, the effect on nitric oxide, and also, if you think about it, the adrenals, very, very important, and if, you're, if things aren't working and you're getting toxic and the liver's overloaded, that can have a big effect on the brain and on headaches. A lot of women, um, right around before their period, get a menstrual migraine. And the minute they start flowing, it disappears. And you could never figure out why. Now they're looking at it, the liver breaks down the estrogen and progesterone. Right before your period, your progesterone is real high. If your liver is overworked, it can't break that down. So it either starts breaking down the extra progesterone and stops breaking down some of the toxic stuff in your body and the metabolic waste, or it works on the metabolic waste, <clears throat> your progesterone stays too high. The minute you get your period, that meant progesterone drops, so it's one less stress on the liver. So I think a lot of the migraines has to do with toxicity in the body, which has to do with certain pathways being overloaded, which might have to do with the genetics and your lifestyle. And thank God we have a lot of the drugs which can make help people with quality of life, but that's also putting work on the liver. And it, sometimes it can be a liver problem. So if you're generating too many of the free radicals, the liver's working overtime, it can't be doing what it should be doing, and that could be contributing to it. Yes? Now, some of the common antihistamines like Zyrtec and Iodin have shown up on these lists of drugs connected to dementia. And um, so if someone is on that um, one of those antihistamines for seasonal allergies, and it develops that you end up being on it most of the year. <laughs> you can never really get off of it because if, and you had success getting patients completely off of antihistamines. Yes, and okay, the question was a lot of the antihistamines is some thought that it could be leading to an increase in dementia. Mm -hmm. And what's the mechanism of action? I have no idea. What, yeah, what I think is it's not so much the chemical of the drug is probably the high histamine of blocking the receptor site. 
probably has a lot more to throwing things out of balance than the actual chemical itself. But again, we, my mentor, Dr. Hins, always used to, in class always drove us crazy. We'd analyze a case, we'd come up with what we think is the underlying problem, and he'd say, great, why didn't the body adapt for that? So then you go further back and further back. So the problem really is, why are you making so much histamine, or why is your body not breaking it down afterwards? Not so much, I have to live on antihistamines. That's a good band-aid to help with the main complaint, but we need to try to fix why you're having that problem. And so with the histamine being up, um, well, if you look on this chart, it's probably easier. You can look at all the things that it can cause. It causes severe inflammation throughout the body. That can't be healthy for us. Um, acetylcholine was mentioned. That's also one of our transmitters. That's, yes? Well, I just want to build on the last yeah. two questions. Are you? Go ahead. Um, you know, you've mentioned you, know, you need to be able to get the toxins out when defecation and all that. Um, and probably through your skin, you've mentioned lifestyle. But recently, we've learned the lymphatic system and the mast cells and the glial that have come up. And then all of a sudden, the Nobel Prize for the chronology. You know, in chronotherapy, all of a sudden, some chemos are really important. And we're discovering hospitals do it according to their schedule than probably what is what better the patient. Needs. So when it comes to something like the migraines or the allergies, how much of what you do maybe incorporates that Ayurvedic, you know, chronology sort of thing? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I didn't explain it very well for No, but no, you know that's I mean. good. I guess the, the bigger picture there is you have to look at the big picture. The cells get nourishment and drain metabolic waste into the lymph. The lymph then goes to the liver. The liver has to be able to metabolize it into the bowel. The bowel has to not be leaking so you can poop it out. And if there's a breakdown in that river somewhere, that can go deeper and deeper and deeper into the body. And the deepest level probably is cancer. You know, that if things get too far out of balance, the cell regulation, um, division regulation goes haywire. So, but I, I don't see I'm here as well. Like, this because I can see the sleep of medicine. Right, you've got to get good but, sleep architecture but, for that other stuff. Okay, so the question was on this. It doesn't yeah. talk about sleep. Right. This is on the metabolic side, oh, not on the lifestyle. Okay. That's why I gave. Okay. Thank you for bringing that up. We can be doing everything perfectly according to your testing. And if your lifestyle is terrible, you're probably gonna die young with a lot of problems. But more important than taking supplements and all that is your lifestyle. And one of the most, we have all these toxins in our environment, which is terrible. And the glyphosate is one that's everywhere. They did a study, digress, they tested, I think it was like six or 800 umbilical cords from poor all the way to the ultra rich. Every single one had, they were testing for like 180 known carcinogens. 100% of them had all the carcinogens in them. So what's that doing to starting off life for the next generation and in the building of the body when they're inside the mum? But one of the most toxic things, it seems, is our stress level and our interpersonal relations. That 
is very can be very helpful and healthy or very very toxic sleep just biochemically when we sleep we recharge our adrenals we do our detoxing the liver does phase one phase two and we repair damage if you're not sleeping well and getting good quality sleep every day you are another baby step backwards going on and on and on which then leads to the different pathways not working well and the whole system comes down so you know we could go on for months but doing everything right nutritionally isn't the answer because as important as anything I can offer any lab testing or anything a doctor can offer you if you don't have a good lifestyle diet exercise relationships your own thought process sometimes we're more toxic than anybody else's in our relationships we have to start looking at the cup being more than half full not it's always half empty you have to look at the positive things that's why you know, laughter is the best medicine that means you're happy and being happy can help clear up a lot being miserable all the time or angry or a phrase somebody said to me was um, one time I told everyone I'm not doing that same dance over and over again I'm sure we all have relationships where every week or month or year we go through the exact same aggravating situation nothing ever changes don't keep doing that if it's not going to change figure out a way to work around it or maybe right now you don't need to be in a relationship with that person you need to step back a little if they're not willing to help themselves and it's really having a physical or mental emotional effect on you so basically there isn't a simple answer and most of it is work you have to do yourself with your lifestyle and your diet and your sleep and your habits and that's the hardest thing to do yes so sleep is considered part of lifestyle right so some people might like be night owls and then have to wake up early in the morning but then some people just don't sleep and it's not because they're not trying to but that so could, that's not necessarily lifestyle that could be some connection here but we can put it in the lifestyle camp but there could be something on this side that's affecting their lifestyle the other side is what if all this is good and they just like playing video games till two and have to be up at five <laughs> that's lifestyle but i guess what, what we're showing from these two different perspectives which are really one and the same that everything is related on the mainstream side we we say that can't have an effect on this if a we can't draw a direct line to b then A doesn't affect B. But what if A affects C directly and C affects B directly? If A isn't doing its job right, yeah. you're affecting B, even though you can't do it. So sleep, food, relationships, nutrition, your genetics, enjoying going to work. We spend 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours at work. There's so many people that work to get the paycheck at the end of the week, and they know, I have a friend that when he would turn 52, he knew how many years and days till he's going to retire. And he was counting the days. And I'm thinking, what a waste of a decade, spending every day thinking I'm one day closer to not doing this job anymore. Change your job. You know, how, what effect would that have on you? Yes? What's the effect of exercise as part of this? Very important. Because we were meant to be moving. 
And so exercise is very important. One, it helps lower um, cortisol and a lot of the stress hormones. It gets the blood flowing. It brings nutrients into the cells. It helps clear the mind. And if you look at it, the people who retire and who are active are active usually very, very long. They get very old and are still maybe not moving as fast and moving. The people who are sedentary at work, they retire and they become a couch potato. They're on 8, 10 prescriptions. They can't get out of their own way. So ex now exercise, you have to be a gym rat and bench press 200 pounds. No, you have to be moving. Some people find Pilates. Some people find yoga. Some people can't stand yoga and want to be outside running or riding a bike or playing basketball. It's whatever's right for you. But movement and exercise, very important. How many people were going to the gym two or three times a week, life gets ahead of you, you miss a couple days at the gym, so you feel guilty, but then you start feeling physically lousy. It's not that you're feeling lousy. When you're exercising, that's how you're supposed to feel. And you're not doing, just like if you didn't eat, you would feel lousy. So exercise, and exercising the brain. You know, not turning into, watching too much TV and turning into mush. Mm -hmm. Yes? What's no. media risen? What? What's media risen? Where are we? Oh, lower right. I don't know. Does <laughs> anybody know? And I feel good. But I'll find out. No, I think it's when you have some sort of thing Follow that, that it up. Yeah, I'm not sure, but we'll find out. It's related to the GI tract. Sorry, <laughs> and there was a question back here. Um, yeah, earlier you had said that, I, I just want to make sure I understood correctly. You said that if a, if a gene, um, okay, you're born with a set of genes, and then if a gene is activated, or I'm not sure the word you're using now. Okay. Um, but let's say by lifestyle, you, you pull the trigger on the gene, right. so to speak, and it's activated. Is it ever able to reset itself and go back to the way it was before it got activated? A good portion of the time, if you change your epigenetics, your life, and we'll make lifestyle real broad, if you change what you've been doing until there's physical tissue damage done that can't be reversed, a lot of times it can be reversed. So that's the whole idea of if you're having high, high histamine all the time, you don't want to live on antihistamines and keep raising the amounts because eventually something's going to break. You can take... Right. Can yeah. you give me like an example of like a condition where there is too much tissue damage for it to go back to where it was originally? Okay. Can on you on a mass cell activation patient and I every antihistamine to the wazoo and I have not taken one since July. Decades. Awesome. Decades. And I'm functioning. And it worked after decades because... No, I mean, I was actually itching getting yeah. off of them because you can have that reaction. You've been on those types so long. I was very concerned about acetylcholine. So was my neurologist. So, but so what if, about we, if we look at something on, where there's actual yeah, tissue damage on the right side of that chart with the CBS, BHMT, and the high homocysteine. So, if your homocysteine is high and you're having a problem with the B6, B12, and folic acid and it's not addressed, eventually you're probably going to have a heart attack okay. or a stroke. And if that happens, brain tissue or cardiac tissue is destroyed. And once it's dead, some of that tissue is dead. It can't be fixed. 
But if your homocysteine is high and you have inflammation and you're going down that road, you're starting to get some um, placking in the arteries and you're starting to get hardening of the arteries, at that point, if you get that, those pathways under control, you stop the progression because it's those being out of control that are causing the problem. So until this tissue breakdown, you had a stroke or a heart attack, okay. that's an extreme. What about a friend of my son um, had been, he had a lot of allergies, but he has been, you know, relatively healthy. And then um, a few weeks ago, he got very, very sick with colitis. And he ended up having to be hospitalized. See, and he ha had it so bad yeah. that they were talking about, like, removing his colon. Yeah. And he's only 18. The, the tissue got so inflamed that it was damaged and it was starting to die and fall apart or ulcerate. And there's studies going on now, you're finding, looking at zonulin and histamine levels in the gut and leaky gut, the zonulin and histamine go up usually two to three years before there's even any symptoms of colitis in those diseases. Right. We just put that little piece together. So hopefully we'll start testing for that earlier on. Right. Now, depending upon, and we're talking way too specific, if he's just very inflamed, a lot of people, and there's a lot of young kids, little kids, that are hospitalized with inflamed bowel, and they put them on huge doses of prednisone, and they can't calm down the right. inflammation. Right, that's what happened to him. So sometimes they can get ahead of it, and then if they start behaving, and they get a good diet, and they get the gut healed, and they cut down on or eliminate gluten, a lot of times the body can regenerate the tissue and they can get healthier and healthier. If he has really bad, if he has ulcerative colitis and he has big ulcers and it's eating through and the gut's going to perforate, then at that point they probably have to remove that area because it can't heal. Okay. So, but there's a lot we can be doing, but up until now we didn't even know what we were looking for. Right. Yes. Thank you. Do you have any idea why there's more peanut allergies now? Well, I think part of it, and this is Gary's yeah, personal no. opinion. I'm just wondering if you um, have a theory. Okay. Well, there was one on the flip side of that, and now the American Academy of Pediatrics is now saying you should be introducing peanuts to infants, even if you just put a, rub your finger on a little bit of peanut and put your finger in their mouth because that's how the body learns to deal with things. Right. So we went to the extreme, we're eliminating peanuts from the kids till a certain age. But I think part of it is that one, peanuts are very moldy. Our immune system isn't what it should be. Our, the parents are more compromised and toxic. So they're making a kid that's starting off three steps further back than we were, than our grandparents were. And we're much more reactive. Our gut is a mess. We have more kids, babies, that we're um, making some of the acid blockers for because they're born with projectile vomiting and severe reflux. And that has a lot to do with when a baby comes through the vaginal canal, it swallows the vaginal mucus, which is supposed to have all the good bacteria to receive the gut. The gut's sterile in the baby. But we're, it'll be easier for me if I have the baby on Thursday, so we'll do a C-section or the mother's on antibiotics, or the mother, because of our lifestyle and our food and all that, she doesn't have as good a flora mix 
in the bowel and in the vaginal canal as she should, so the baby starts off uh, behind the eight ball. 70% mm -hmm. of our immune system comes from the healthy bacteria in the gut. And if they're not there, you're not digesting well and absorbing well. And the bacteria help make some of the vitamins and the hormones. So I think it's a combination of all these things. The immune system is more, probably more compromised in most of us at birth than it's ever been. Then you have the glyphosate issue. Yeah. What and about stress? Because yeah. I, I'm... What about stress? Well, no, I'm wondering, <laughs> my, my, my grandson had, had very bad allergies and my daughter was going through her residency. <laughs> and she was under <laughs> enormous amount of stress. And I don't know if some chemicals are released. And well, because everything else you mentioned, she was eating peanut butter. She, she had regular vaginal delivery. Everything else... That's fine. But if she was stressed, yeah. the adrenals, two major functions, feed and breathe and fight or flight. So she was in a state of fight or flight. The blood goes to the big muscles in the brain and away from the reproductive system and the digestive system. So you're not digesting well, you're not eliminating well, and you're not So it goes back well. to the same thing, maybe. Everything goes yeah. back to the gut. <laughs> the gut, diet, and lifestyle. Yeah. Okay. Um, so histamine, common his, histamine intolerance, itching, chest pain, digestive upset, hypertension, dizziness, arrhythmias, nausea, abdominal cramps, flushing, nasal congestion, hives, fatigue, tissue swelling. And so what if you are producing too much histamine all the time? You can start developing more and more of these symptoms. Oh, is Gary <coughs> Yep. Thank you. Uh, Which can keep you from sleeping. Yeah. yeah, and then if you're not sleeping, you yeah. just pours gasoline on the fire. you get like tachycardia, you can't yeah. sleep, you're up like this. Yeah, I've, I've done all that. Gary, will these slides be on your <laughs> when you give the lecture then? Will they be available? When it's, when it's online, you'll be able to see them, because what I do is I'm recording it on here too, so okay. down in the lower right, there'll be the slides so you can Excuse me, read oh, all of it. Great, thank you. And if anyone Side does want the slide stack, you know, just send me an email <laughs> and I'll convert it into a PDF. Um, Hyzoinulin, contributing factor in the development of autoimmune disorders, so like celiac, insulin dependent diabetes, multiple sclerosis, rheumatic arthritis. So those are all real common conditions that all of us get. It's normal as you get older to get these but could be due to zonulin, which then histamine has an effect on, which the two of them have an effect on the gut, Thank which you. affects... Thank you. I don't have more glasses and I have trouble seeing <laughs> Thank you. Um, if the gut, the gut gets affected, zonulin is a... The gut has a lining of epithelial cells that, we'll say, are glued together. And when we eat, we release a little zonulin, which dissolves that glue and lets them open up a little so the things that, the nutrients that should get absorbed into the bloodstream get absorbed. Then zonulin gets metabolized and they stick together. When you stop making too much zonulin because of histamine and gluten, it, I mean, you, because of histamine and gluten, you make more zonulin all the time. You start getting bigger openings, so you start absorbing things that shouldn't be absorbed, which causes the body to react more to it, and it causes more damage and inflammation in the body, leading to autoimmune diseases. And glyphosate um, also produces more zonulin. I'm sorry? So, well, the glyphosate, too, yep. also 
because of the provided release more zonulin. Higher zonulin levels have been reported in patients with active celiac disease, and zonulin levels elevate two to five years before you have a problem. And we're not really testing for zonulin, because we didn't know, really think about zonulin before. So this genetic testing is opening up a lot of doors. At first, we don't even know what it means, but as time goes on, all of a sudden the light bulb goes on. Is there an actual test for zonulin, yes. though, in genetic, or just is it a Well, in genetic, and it can be tested in the system. I don't have no idea how expensive it is or okay. how rare the test is. It's not there's a real common. There's a cut permeability test from the Cyrex lab. Right. It's okay. around $275. Yeah. Some of the, I don't want to say the alternative, some of the more progressive labs okay. test for zonulin. Okay. But a lot of times, just like when you go into the hot, the doctor to do a stool sample, they test for these certain things. And up until recently, they weren't testing for certain parasites because those are third world parasites. And if you didn't travel to those countries, you couldn't have it, but they're here. Because yeah. mm -hmm. there really isn't a third world. Mm -hmm. It's everyone's traveling. You can pick it up on an escalator handrail mm -hmm. or food service. Mm -hmm. So you can only get an answer if you test for the right thing. And so there are you know, tests, some of the gut tests that are available now are unbelievable what you can see, both as preventative looking forward and for current problems. Um, DAO levels, very important for the leaky gut. Zonulin and DAO interact and affect histamine in a, in a, I'll call it a metabolic dance. So we need all these little pieces, all these gears working well for the watch to keep good time. There's a new product on the market. There's one on prescription and it's also available. It's called SBI Protect. It's serum bovine immunoglobulins. And immunoglobulins, that's partly what's in colostrum. That's the first um, liquid that comes out of a mammal's breast. It programs the immune system. And a lot of our immune systems are a mess. It could use a, a tune-up. And so this product we're having very good results with. There's good clinical studies on it. What it does is it helps program the, the immune system, especially in the gut. It also helps the body's natural defenses in the gut bind up invading organisms, or the bad guys, and also some of the toxins so they get excreted better. It helps the gut immune system. If the immune system in the gut's working better, you have less inflammation in the gut. There's less inflammation, those cells can start closing better. And that's very, very helpful for um, leaky gut and inflammatory bowel disorders. On the prescription side, they were using it for real severe inflamed bowels. And so you just take it every day some people find, we found just with use, if their gut is a real mess, instead of taking a scoop a day, sometimes they get a little bit bloated or a little constipated, which makes sense, you're changing the ecology in the gut. So a lot of times I'll have people stop with a quarter of a scoop and do that for a few days and slowly, if you haven't been feeling well and it's not life-threatening, I like to start slow and ease into the full protocol instead of starting high and back down if you have problems. But we're having very good luck with that. Um, I talked a little bit about nitric oxide. What was funny was there was a Nobel Prize for the molecule nitric oxide because they finally did enough research. That is a very important molecule in the body. And on your chart on the left side, if the BH4 isn't working well or you have too many of those free radicals, you have a nitric oxide problem. And nitric oxide is used. 
Nobel Prize in 98 for which is a wild for a molecule, um, nitric oxide. Um, it acts as a vasodilator. It stimulates the brain, helps with erectile function, impotence, increased energy, supports wound hand healing, supports the immune system. What do we got? What did we have? They wanted to learn about genetics. Um, it's a powerful signaling molecule in the cardiovascular and nervous systems. We need nitric oxide in many different areas in our body. And you can see from your chart, there's many things that can affect nitric oxide. And if we get that working better, it can affect your heart, it can affect your mind, it can affect sexual function, which can affect your mood and your sleep and happiness of the couple and the toxic relationship could get better or worse, depending on what's going on. Um, look, you want that back again? Yeah, maybe just for a second. Well, I'm glad you all like these slides. Yeah, yeah. And also, I want to thank PowerPoint because instead of just the flat slides, they're making it so much easier to make it more interesting to read. Okay, so we're back to where we started. All this is important. Now, just as you think you're starting, I thought once I got a lot of this and I could really work through it when I got somebody's reports in, then we went to the next level. This is probably this much of the metabolic charts. This is the most important to get started on. But as time goes on, it's gonna keep getting bigger and bigger and deeper. And somebody said it's like playing a 3D chess game underwater with pieces of floating around. But you have to just sort of glue a few of them down and start at one area and try to understand it. But this, we learned this in pharmacy school we had to memorize all this, and that was one of the weed out courses, and a third of the kids flunked out of pharmacy school. And after you finally passed the test, they said, forget about it, there's nothing you can do about it, we just use this to cull the herd. And that was it. And I despised that, it was just raw memorizing. Now all of a sudden, I'm up till one, two in the morning, and it's fascinating. And you know, it's really amazing, so the deep, being able to look at the DNA really has opened up a lot of windows. So a couple things, BH4. BH4 we need to make tyrosine. Tyrosine we need to make T4, thyroid hormones. It's also used for neurotransmitters. It's used in the adrenals. We need it to make dopamine, 5-HTP, which is then used to make serotonin. We need it to make nitric oxide. In order for the cycle to work, you need folic acid um, and SAMI. So what if you have a problem genetically with folic acid? That could affect your making all these neurotransmitters. Another area that's just starting, and what time are we up to where I'm almost on time, um, is some pathways in the body, mTOR and autophagy. And strange words, but I even saw it in the Globe. There was an article written about um, mTOR. And Remember I talked about NERF2, it's very important for releasing the antioxidants which help break down the free radicals and protect us. On the left here are things, if you look at the arrows, that stimulate mTOR. Anything that stimulates mTOR blocks autophagy. mTOR, when you exercise, mTOR accelerates. That's building muscle, 
rebuilding and making things bigger and stronger. Very, very important. The flip side of it is autophagy. Autophagy is going in and eating up and metabolizing all the damaged tissue. And exercise damages tissue. That's part of being healthy. But you have to build it up and break it down a little and you have to clean up the mess. So if you look, and I'm sorry this isn't bigger, if you're taking metformin, if you are, um, have low ATP, low energy, if you're doing weight training, pesticides, estrogen, um, growth hormone, glucose and insulin problems, all stimulate mTOR and block autophagy, high protein, high iron, high glutamate. Remember we talked about glutamate, if your anxious is too high, all stimulate mTOR and block autophagy. So if we're constantly eating high protein and going to the gym and working out real hard seven days a week, we're not cleaning up the mess. And autophagy helps identify and destroy cancer cells and damaged cells. So too much of anything is harmful. So even too much good exercise, if it's not good exercise. Now what's interesting is a lot of supplements stimulate mTOR or stimulate autophagy. So the doctor that was in that picture is now working with a bunch of researchers and they're thinking instead of saying everyone, a lot of people, basic nutrients, everyone should be taking these six things every single day, you probably should have a couple of pill trays and or set up your pill tray so you take certain herbs or supplements on the days when you're working out hard and then on the recovery day you don't take certain ones and you might take some of them the same every day but you take other things that support autophagy on your day off and so I think down the road as more research comes in we're probably going to find that because things like berberine and metformin, berberine is very healthy for us, but maybe we don't want to be taking it seven days a week. Maybe it should be on and off, or maybe a week on and a few days off to let autophagy catch up. I don't know, but it makes sense because these two in nature are supposed to be in balance. So we build and we repair and we build and we clean up the mess. We're doing a lot more building and less cleaning up the mess. Does that, how does that factor in as time goes on? So one of the tests that we're using a lot now is organic acids. That's the one that looks at the metabolic products coming out and we can go backwards up the chain because if there's too much of this, we know exactly where, what pathway it had to come from. So that combined with the genes is helpful. Um, this is the slide I was looking for, that A gets converted to B, and the enzyme has to be working, and you have to have the nutrients that the enzyme needs to do its job. So you might not have the genetic SNP where that enzyme is defective. You might have a SNP that's affecting your utilization of the nutrients, which has the same effect as the enzyme not working well. And so now all these windows are open. We can get very specific in different pathways. This is just talking about if a to B, that enzyme isn't working, you'll have more A in your urine, the body will try to flush it out. So it's just easy ways that we can get back into you. Um, you can be testing for how your body is dealing with fats, not just fat in the stool, but are you lacking in things to bring the fat from the blood into the cells, into the mitochondria, 
for energy and for metabolism and to help build our nerves aligned with fat. We need fats. We went on fat-free diet and we became the fattest group of people around. How did that happen? So we need fats because our metabolic rate slowed down and we were lacking a key nutrient. It's the man-made fats that are no good. Nature's fats are very healthy for us. Carbohydrate, going with the organic acid test, one of the things it does is it looks at the citric acid cycle. How are we dealing with proteins, fats, and carbs? By the metabolic output, we can narrow down. Are you having a problem with any of those? And depending upon what's coming out in the urine of the blood, we can a lot of times narrow down exactly where in that pathway you are having a problem. So it, it's really fascinating. We can really get inside. Um, anyone, any of you, the original Star Trek, you know, the cat with um, William Shatner and all that, and the doctor, you know, somebody would have a broken bone and he would take this thing with lights and wave it over and you'd watch the skin heal and the bone heal. And they had, um, what the heck did they call it, the communicators. They flipped it open and they could talk to the ship as a flip phone. And now we have, um, Anne is a physical therapist that does a lot with low level light laser therapy for healing things. That but not only is it very good for therapy, now people coming to her, how do I use this? And she's using it in her therapy. We're also using color therapy, which I thought, I finally learned that I don't have to understand something for it to be valid. And there are people, practitioners, that are using color therapy. It's just plastic glasses, different colors. And some colors are energizing, some colors um, somebody will put glasses on and a lot of the emotion that they had pent up comes out. How can a color do that? It can do that. Nature put colors there for a reason. Otherwise, it probably would have been easier to make everything in black and white. And so this, we know about this much of what we need to know. We think we're so smart, but we're discovering so much of it. Serotonin. Tryptophan needs BH4 to make 5-HTP. Then you need B6 to make serotonin. So what if the first part's working and you all low on B6 or can't utilize B6? You could have a serotonin deficiency. And that might be able to be corrected so you're not on an SSRI the rest of your life. Maybe you need the SSRI. It's not that they're terrible. But maybe there's something you could do to even get the system working so you can lower the dose. And most drugs, the side effects are dose-related. Um, can you comment on how CME helps to um, stimulate the, that process? Is SAMI well, involved with that? Sam, yeah, SAMI's involved in everything. Because SAMI basically is a methyl donor. And we need, if you look on the chart, SAMI's in the upper right-hand corner. This side of the pathway has to work for the neurotransmitters to be formed. So the methylate, methylate that's why this started off as a, a methylation protocol because it's basically making sure methylation is working right. And a lot of us, methylation is a disaster. And so SAMI is very good. That's why SAMI is very good both for depression, but also for pain and inflammation. Because if you can get, it's probably because if you're getting the metabolic waste products out better, you're methylating things, and the body can have these pathways working better, your pain levels can go down. And the same way it can get the neurotransmitter pathways working better. It isn't a direct SAMI attacks 
5-HTP and causes serotonin. But if you look at those pathways, you can see where SAMI is needed partway down the pathways of the neurotransmitters. Um, tyrosine, tryptophan, you need B6, a bunch of antioxidants. So it's not a simple answer. We're complicated. As much as we think we understand everything, it's like chicken soup. If you put a dead chicken in hot water, it's disgusting. And if you just put salt and carrots and an onion in the hot water, it might be okay, but it's not chicken soup. But if you do the right amount of everything, it's delicious. And that's what this is all about. We need some of a lot of different things. There's never one thing that's the final answer. Um, so how do you proceed? One on here, if you go to, I gave you this. On the back, there's gettoknowyourdna.com. There's two quick videos that go over a lot of this again. The DNA test kit, and it does run into a little bit of money for, for any testing nowadays. The kit is $249. They have the saliva analyzed and the report generated. The portal, that group I talked to you about, they and all these are right on the back, they charge $150 to import the data, do your, you fill out online the symptomology, any lab tests you have, I import in. You have your portal, you can look at your reports and as often as you want. And then I charge $75 a half hour for consulting to work with you on it. And once the portal's set up, it's your portal. As the reports get updated, you can go in and look at them. You get a full report, it's your data. So you own it. I just help you interpret it, I help you guide you. Um, what else did I want to say? Yes. What's the depth at which they look at the DNA? In other it's words, like there's some 100 times and 30 times, you know, the, the, it's a number of times they go across. I there's so much in the genetics that you know, it depends on the company. On the company. Um, I can find out that for you. What they did was they did go to three of the top labs and they sent out the same well, multiple samples, but even the same sample six or eight times to the same lab under different code numbers. Mm -hmm. And they made sure they got the exact same report every single time from the multiple samples they sent out for, I think they did like 3,000 cases. And so I can find out how many times it goes through, but two of the companies, every once in a while, they did get a different result, and they got thrown out. This company was, I don't want to say 100% because nothing's 100%, but it was like 99.9% validated. Mm -hmm. So it really is, I think, very accurate. Yes? So obviously, this, uh, the consultation um, and how long you work with a patient, it's going to vary. It's going to vary. But is there a typical, like, you know, for what we want to get to know, it, to get started with? To get started, once you do this, usually within an hour, we can discuss what we found and a game plan, where it needs to be started. If you're very, very sick, or very, I shouldn't say sick, very much out of balance, you wanna go very slowly and everyone's different and it's not, oh, if you have this, this is the protocol. So that could be more hand-holding, easing in, because the last thing we want is for you to take a step backwards to go forwards. We want everyone to be slowly making progress and we can accelerate that. Sometimes you get one system working right and better, 
and everything look good, and then the person goes backwards a little bit. And that's bad, but it's not bad. That's telling us there's something else, another pathway that needs a little more support. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> go ahead. Is there ever any phone conversations between these sessions too, or is yes. everything supposed one of, to be in person? One of the ways that I like to work is that we have the consultation, and then when we start something like this, what I want is I have a secure HIPAA-protected email, and my phone is also. And instead of making, okay, next week let's have a 15-minute appointment, and a week after we'll need a 15 or a half-hour one, what I want is I want a report from you what are you noticing because at first as we're trying to figure out where to go a phone call or an email I can say you know what let's take this morning and evening instead of just morning and see what happens if you find she's that made me a little sleepy or you know I I found this happened we can back off that we don't have to get together for once we get rolling and we move forward to a point okay we have to figure out where are we now we move over here, that's when we get together. So this isn't every week, every other week you're gonna have an appointment. But again, you're spending a lot of time and effort and some money, don't wanna let time just go. So it is working together, but one thing that Bridget and I pride ourselves on with people we work with, a lot of times it's a simple two or three minute discussion to resolve a question that you have or an issue. That's all part of the consult, you know, so it's not, you're in here all the time. I work with a lot of people all over the country, so we can do um, video conferencing. There's HIPAA secure companies that we can use that supposedly is so scrambled that nobody can get in, also over the phone. So it's not, if you're not in the area, there's nothing like sitting down face-to-face. -face. So face-to-face uh, -face is probably the best. The next best is the video conferencing. Because if I say something, if I can see you or you can see me, I can sometimes see that you didn't understand that or you might have taken that wrong, like this is terrible and it really wasn't. Whereas when you're on the phone or you're emailing, you lose that. And so, you know, I prefer face-to-face, -face, but I work with people all over. them. Yes? Um, it says in the second uh, window there that um, you'll set up the portal, portal um, and then it mentions labs. That's a separate. If we need the labs, and a lot of people already have some of the labs are from their regular doctor, so there's no sense in paying for them again. Um, a lot of people have the organic acid or the Nutribel, and we can use use those, and those all get put in. But a lot of times you don't need to do those. So what I like to do is I don't like spending my money needlessly, and I don't want you to spend your money for me needlessly. So a lot of times, depending upon what's going on. I have probably half the people we start without both, without the added labs. You know, we, if we need that to try to figure something out, it's well worth the money. But just to get numbers, if we don't even need them, it's some people like black and white numbers. But yes. So Gary, we get this DNA test kit from this website here. No. No, that website is just information. Where do we get the Okay, the DNA, if anyone's interested, one I have it, I can send you online, you can fill it out online. You have to fill out, I need your name, address, date of birth, and all that. I order the kit, it comes to you. You have to register the kit on your portal. I'll set up your portal with this information, and then you send, you're spitting a vial, 
slap the label on and send it in. And I send it in. When the results will come back to me? It, or it goes right into the portal. It comes okay. into me. I assign the number to your portal. And it goes in and we both get notified that it's in there. Then I process it. I start doing my job. And then we get together. And how long might this something like okay. this Okay. Actual running of the DNA, depending upon how there's more and more kits coming in and then ramping up, they say to plan on four to six weeks. Sometimes it's three weeks, sometimes it is the six weeks, depending upon the load. Okay. Thank you. Yes? What if you have uh, already genetic testing and you have the data files? If it's 23 and me, okay. Okay, the problem with that is the program is set up for 23andMe in this lab now. So if you have the profile, it could be 4,000 genes, which would have to be hand-entered in. And the odd one, uh, my glasses will be that thick by the time I'm done, but also the odds of entering something wrong. What about running it through Prometheus? I'm sorry? What about running it through Prometheus? I don't know. Okay. I know, I don't know. So this, you, know, this you have to hook on to this method in order to get Right, and their, their program is a working at trying to figure out is it worth spending the time and the money? Are there enough people that will be getting data in this format that we can then directly import? But to do it other than directly data filing, I think there's way too many chances of making a mistake being human or you know, the input. All that data would probably take days. Any other questions? Yes. Um, how old are your clients? Or how, what's your youngest? The group I'm working with has done two and three years. I'm not the youngest. I want to say 10 or 11. Sunday. Saturday. Okay. I'll be around. Um, you have my email, my cards up here. So feel free to ask any questions. Okay. Meteorism is an old Latin term to describe bloating. Thank you. Remind me, somebody sent me an email to remind me to change that to bloating. Thank you very much. I thought it was going to be some real exciting thing. Thank you. I hope this was helpful. It should be very confusing. Yeah, it is.